Open your Bibles with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. I've mentioned before, I just absolutely love the Christmas season. I love all the colors. I love the the gifts, especially receiving them. And I, I just absolutely love this time of year. But the main reason I love it is I get to talk about Jesus. And so this morning, I want us to turn our focus to the Lord Jesus Christ. And with all the busyness that's going on, I just think it's hilarious that, you know, the time of joy and peace, people are grumpier than ever. How many of you found yourself, you just realized at some point in the last week you were grumpy? Would you raise your hand? Oh, yeah. And so the rest of you are liars, man. I look at your faces and I can see it. Because we really do, it seems like in this time of of joy and peace and rest, we're busier than ever, right? I mean, you'll have something scheduled every night of the week, a party here, a get-together here, a family thing here, and then all of a sudden, somebody will throw a new one at you that you didn't know about, and so the one time you had to rest, and now you can't rest. That's the world that we live in. So in this time when we're looking for rest, and we find ourselves busier than ever, we can get to the place where we almost force Jesus out of our thinking in the time designed to celebrate His coming. And so let's start in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1, and let's look at this. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the Majesty on high. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for Your Word. And Lord Jesus, thank You so much for coming. And we realize, we recognize that as far as the calendar goes, You didn't come at Christmas time, but You came. And we have set aside this time to remember you and to celebrate your birth. But this morning, help us to just celebrate who you are in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I want you to imagine what it would have been like to be a Jewish person when Jesus Christ was walking the earth. They had long looked for their Messiah, and now he had come But most of them had rejected him, and we're all familiar with the passage in John. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But the good news is, but to as many as received him, to them gave he power to be called the sons of God. Has anybody here received Jesus Christ? You have received him? Hallelujah. And the reason that you had the opportunity to do that is he came into his own, and his own received him not. And so then the broader message went out to the Gentiles and the whole world, and so all of us are able to know Jesus Christ as Savior. God only knows how many different races are represented in this room. And, and, you know, I am the only pure blood person here. I am 100% mongrel. And that's, that's pretty much what American means, I think. But, but God was able to, was able to, God chose to send the gospel to the whole world after Jesus Christ was rejected by the Jews. I want you to think about something. Jesus Christ died somewhere around 35 A.D., rose from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father. 
By the time we get up into the late 60s, you have the Jewish revolt. The Jews had looked for the Messiah. They rejected their Messiah. And so now they decided to take matters into their own hands. And you have the Jewish revolt against Rome from about 68 or 66 A.D. until 73 A.D. And what happened in 69 A.D. was Nero died. Now, was Nero a friend of the Christians? No, no. And what followed after that was called the Year of the Four Emperors. You had Galba, Otho, Vitellius, Vespasian, and then Titus later. But in that one year, you had Nero, Galba, Otho, and Vitellius, and none of them lasted any period of time. Because of this Jewish revolt, the Jews had decided to stand up against Rome, and honestly, that just wasn't a very good idea. Militarily, they were not able to do it. They were looking for a military conqueror in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he wanted their hearts, and they rejected him. And so now they're trying to face Rome on their own. Can I tell you something? That was a really bad idea. Where's Wade at? Wade, come up here for a minute. Where's Tony? Is Tony Slade up here? Is he downstairs? Where's Tony at? Tony, make your way out. Step on all those girls and come on out. I saw that. Okay, come on up here. Right here. I want to be like my savior between two thieves right here. All right, now. How you guys doing? All right, until about two minutes ago. <laughs> I think you're ugly and your moms are ugly. Where's dad at? <laughs> now, let me ask you all a question. How many of you think that's a bad idea? Right here? All right, so here's the deal. This is about what it was like for the Jews, for Israel, to try and go up against Rome. It just would not be smart other than an IQ test, it would not be smart. It would not be smart for me to try to take these two guys on. How many of you would agree with that? Is that right? But what if I had... What? We're just talking over you. And there's nothing I can do about it. Now imagine, though, if I had all of you. Now it's a different story. Now it's a different story. Now we'd have an opportunity to win. But what if we three decided to take you guys on? Well, then we're outnumbered again. It wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. Little Israel tiny, though they'll be small among the nations of Judah. Bethlehem, Micah 5.2. Out of thee shall come forth he who's going to be king of Israel. Right? Little Israel with the Messiah now can take on the entire world. Not just Rome. But the problem is we're looking for a military conquest when what Jesus Christ wants is a conquest of the heart. And here's the deal. It doesn't matter matter how strong you are. If you have the Holy Spirit in you and the Word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, you can turn the world upside down. And that's what the disciples did. Isn't that awesome? 
Even monsters like this can just take the Bible and share the gospel with somebody else without intimidation because we have the Lord Jesus Christ on our side. Thank you, guys. It's really important that we get this. Sometimes we feel like we're up against a giant. And we, I, I tell people all the time, we have the largest church in America. We have giants in this church. And it's, it's really important that we get this. Sometimes as believers, we feel like we're up against this, this monolith, this, this huge system that we can't defeat. Well, we can't defeat it. But I know who can. And what the Jews had done was they tried to take on the giant of Rome and they couldn't do it. Why? Because the one person they needed to accomplish it, they had rejected. And it was just stupid. And so what happens? Rome comes and lays siege to Israel. And it's a terrible thing. They lay siege to Jerusalem. People are dying. It's horrible. Vespasian, he is a general, a Roman general. He hears that Nero has died, and so he makes his way back to Rome, and he ultimately becomes the emperor. And his son Titus is left in charge, and by 70 A.D., they destroy Jerusalem and just kill so many people. They kill so many people. Just before that happens, the book of Hebrews is written. And so what happened was the gospel had spread and some of the Jews had received Jesus Christ as their Savior. But the center of their life was the temple. And so the, their, their family life, their social life, their political life, as well as their religious life, was centered there at the temple in Jerusalem. And it's hard for us to comprehend. The closest thing that we would have to the temple would be the shoe. No, that's different. <laughs> Might be a little truth in that. Would you all agree with that? Except for Bob Curlis and his is satanic. But <laughs> he's a Michigan fan, in case you didn't know. Now, the center of their life was the temple. Jesus Christ had come, and most of the Jews had rejected him. So can you imagine how difficult it was for those few Jews that had received him? And so the, the, the Holy Spirit inspired someone, we don't know who, I think it was probably the Apostle Paul, to write the book of Hebrews to these Jewish believers. And what he's challenging them to do is to not go back. To no, don't go back to the temple. Follow the Lord Jesus Christ. When that veil was rent in two, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, the temple was no longer needed. The purpose of the temple was to make sacrifices and the ultimate sacrifice had been made when Jesus Christ died on the cross. And so now these people, the, these Jewish believers, they had a choice to make. And honestly, it's the same choice that we have today. So you young people, you've made a decision to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that most of you are saved as far as I know, that you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life. What's going to happen for the rest of your life is the world is going to try and draw you away from the Lord Jesus Christ. They're going to come up with all kinds of excuses to pull you away from the Lord. And so, by clinging to the Messiah, those Jews who had received Jesus Christ, by clinging to the Messiah, they were going to be severed from Messiah's people. 
And so for you, all of us in this room, when we place our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are going to be severed from other people who claim to follow the Lord, but they do not follow Him according to the Word of God. And so God tells us not to stop. He challenges us to go on. There are three choices that the Jews were able to make, and let's look at the Bible and we'll see some of the choices. The first choice was apathy. Apathy. And I think that this is pretty much the constant state of the Christian. You know, everything will will come down to its lowest common denominator. How many of you have noticed that? And so we as Christians, I think that just about everyone in this room would believe in Jesus Christ, that He's God, that He was born of a virgin, that He lived a sinless life, that He died on the cross for our sins, that He was buried that He rose from the dead the third day to prove that He was, is, and always will be God. And then He ascended to the right hand of the Father where He's seated now making intercession for us. I think most of the people in this room, we would agree with that. We believe that. And I think that most of the people in the room believe that one day, and it could be soon, that Jesus Christ is going to return. And all the saved people are going to take Him out, and then God is going to judge this earth in the tribulation, and then we're going to return and rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years and that will go off into eternity. And I do believe that most of the people in this room, that this is what we believe. But because of the... the, the uh, there's never been a time when we have been bombarded by more distractions than we are right now. And what can happen in our Christian faith is that we can reach a place of apathy. So look with me at Hebrews chapter 5. This is one of the choices that the Hebrews had to make. And even though we're not in the shadow of the temple, I think that we have this same issue. And look what it says in verse 11. Of whom we have many things to say, that's Jesus Christ, of whom we have many things to say, and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. That's not very nice, is it? That's interesting. Seeing ye are dull of hearing, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And the oracles of God, that's the Word of God. And are become such as need of milk and not of strong meat. So here's the question for you. Are you a strong believer? Are you ready to hear hard things from the Bible? Are you ready to? And there are, there are two ways to know whether you are in this apathetic state. Number one, number one, are you interested in the things of God? Are you excited to come and hear the things of God? Are you excited to be trained to teach someone else the Word of God? That's what discipleship is. Are you excited to be trained to teach someone else the Word of God? You want to learn it yourself. You want to speak it to someone else. Or are you dull of hearing? Now, I know that it's hard to sit in a church service sometimes and pay attention, but is it hard for you to stay awake and listen to the preaching? I would probably fall asleep if I was listening to myself as well. But is it, are you excited about the things of God? Are you excited about what God has to say? Or are you just apathetic? Are you dull of hearing? There's a second test for it. Number one, when the hard things are said from the pulpit or from the Word of God, where it gets down to where you really live, does that insult you? You know, as if you're the only person in the room. You know, 200 and whatever people are here, And when you hear something from the Word of God, you think that it's only for you. 
That's apathy. That's not understanding. That's not being ready to hear the Word of God. That's one option that one choice that the Hebrew Christians could make, and I believe that it's a choice that we're making right now. Are we actively engaged in the Word of God? Are we regularly reading the Word of God? Are we regularly gathering with the people of God? Are we regularly speaking the Word of God? I want you to think about something. If you talk more about hunting than you do about the Word of God, then that's an idol. Is that fair? If you talk more about baseball, basketball, football, than you do the Word of God, that is an idol. Now, if we had a recorder here, and I know many of you think that I'm actually following you around and that I know what's happening, and I'm really not. My wife does. I just, I leave you people alone. But if I was able to show a video of your conversations for the last week, how much would of it would be about the Bible or the things of God? Now, I'm not talking about your job. You know, if your job is to teach or to speak something, that's what you're supposed to be doing. You're not supposed to be teaching the Bible at that moment. Amen? But I'm talking about in your daily interaction where you are in charge of what you say. How much of it is about the Bible? How much of it is about your precious Savior, your Lord, your faith, your religion? Or would people think that maybe your religion is hunting or football or basketball or, you know, basket weaving, whatever it is that you're interested in? Duck painting. Where's the Kate Clayton's one? Just duck painting. Have you seen the painting they do? It's unbelievable. Really cool. But the, the idea is very clear on this. If we focus more on anything other than on the Lord Jesus Christ, that is idolatry. And the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And I find myself complaining about what's going on in the world. That means I have a heart that's filled with dissatisfaction. When the Lord Jesus Christ wants to give me overflowing joy, that means that I am focusing on the wrong thing in my life. I'm not just giving an illustration. That's the fact of my life. And that's where I need to make sure that I am in touch with the Lord Jesus Christ and I love Him and I care about what He says. So my first reaction is, my first choice is apathy. Then the sad thing is, the next choice is apostasy. Apostasy. And it's very rare for someone to go from being on fire for Christ to an apostate. Remember what an apostate is. An apostate is one who looks at revealed truth and turns from it looks at the person of the Lord Jesus Christ as revealed in Scripture, says, I don't want you. I don't want you. It's very difficult for a person who's been actively engaged in the Word of God and communicating the Word of God to immediately take the next step of walking away from Him. Would you all agree with that? And so look at this, Hebrews chapter 10. Our choices. Our choices. Apathy. Apostasy. Look at verse 39. But we are not of them who draw back into perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. That's interesting, isn't it? That's a tough verse. What does it mean? We're not of those, uh, but we are not of them who draw back unto uh, perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. It's very simple. For these Jewish believers, those who believed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, those who believed in His death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ alone, they're saved by faith. But if you have a faith that's halfway, well, for now, this is a good choice for me. For now, my choice is to live like a Christian, but 
I'm not sure. That, you're not saved. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, no, let's look at it. 1 Corinthians 15. Keep your place in Hebrews with me, if you will. But look at 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. So we don't stand in our good works. We don't stand in a good life. We stand in the gospel. Isn't that a blessing? All right. Look at what it says in verse 2. By which also ye are saved. If ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. What does it mean to believe in vain? It means to believe in nothing. It means to have faith without an object. It means to have faith without an object. I heard someone tell a story one time about uh, being in Vietnam, and I don't know whether the story is true or not. The guy that told the story turned out to be, you know, a liar. But he um, he told the story of meeting this guy in boot camp who claimed to be an atheist. And then he saw him in Vietnam a few years later, and the guy had on a Star of David, a Krishna symbol, a cross. He had all these religious symbols. He said, man, I thought you were an atheist. He said, no, I believe. And he said, in what? I can't tell. He says, I don't know, but at this point I can't afford to make anybody mad. <laughs> what did he do? He had faith, but there was no object to his faith. He was trying to treat religion as a talisman, as, as, a, as a rabbit's foot, as a good luck charm, as a, as a lucky horseshoe. But that's not what faith is. Faith is belief in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. It is faith with an object. And unless that's what you're believing in, you have believed in vain. It's not about the amount of religious information that you have in your head. That's what it's about. There are a lot of kids that have gone through catechism and went through catechism straight to hell. Religious knowledge does not save a person. Salvation is not a matter of the head. It's a matter of the heart. Now, you have to know some things in order to be saved. But what you know will not save you until you place your faith in Him, in the person that the truth is about. It's vital that we understand this. And so back in Hebrews 10 and verse 39, it says, But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, perdition but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. There are parents, and maybe some parents in this room, but I know that in my life, I'm 52 years old, I've been in church all my life. I've been around this kind of church all my life. And so many of my friends who came to church and they made a profession of faith have gone off into the world and I have no idea whether they're genuinely born again or not because their life, by their life, I simply do not know. And parents, let me challenge you. Don't think, don't treat church as a vaccine. Where you bring to church and you bring your children to church until they make a profession of faith and follow the Lord and believers baptism. And then you say, boy, I'm glad that's over with. And now you can go back to whatever it is in the world that is more important to you than the word of God. Be careful of that. How many of you know of Christians that have believed that way or that have lived that way? Is that right? Let's not us be those people. 
And I got to tell you, Laura and I, we work very hard to make sure that we live that way. And you say, well, that's your job. It really is my job, but I hope you don't think that my faith in the Lord is for a paycheck. And the way that we're trying to raise our children is for a paycheck. We've given them to the Lord and we want to establish our schedule in such a way that we affirm what God is doing in their lives. It's very important that we get this. Why? Because a child, I made a profession of faith when I was six, got it settled when I was 15. What if my parents had decided that, well, I'm good now. Jim doesn't need to be around the preaching of the Word of God anymore because he's okay. What if I hadn't been at that youth event and gotten my salvation settled? Only God knows where I would be today. I am so thankful that my parents were faithful. Isn't God good to us? Isn't God wonderful? So they had choices to make. Their first choice was very simple. It was apathy. I don't care. But what that leads to is apostasy. There's a third choice. There's a third choice, and that's anticipation. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verse 25. I love verse 23. Let's start there. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. Isn't that a great verse? And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. And isn't it interesting that often when you try to provoke a brother or sister in Christ to good works, you provoke them to anger. How many of you ever had that happen to you? You're trying to encourage someone to serve the Lord, to be faithful, to provoke them to good works, but instead you provoke them to anger. It could be that they're somewhere in that process of apathy or apostasy. It could be. I'm always amazed that people want a pastor that doesn't care whether or not they're in church. That's an interesting thing. How many of you want a pastor that cares whether or not you're in church? How many of you want a pastor like that? Okay, about a third of you. (laughs) If that was a vote of confidence, Laura, we're going to find another job. (laughs) It's really important that we get this. We're to provoke one another to good works. Encouraging one another. Provoking. Then look at verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Jesus Christ is coming back. We, we live an anticipatory life. That's the passage. That's what Hebrews is about. That we have, we have these three options. We have the option of apathy. Yeah, I'm good now. God's good. I'm saved. I'm just going to go about my life. Which often can lead to your children, your loved ones, seeing your life and saying, well, it must not have been real. I'm not going to go all the way. I'm going to turn back and go. Or there's anticipation. And that's what God is telling the Hebrew believers. He says, don't worry, I'm coming back. And let's see where it says that. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 and look at verse 35. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come, will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, 
my soul shall have no pleasure in him. How many of you want to please God? Don't go back. Don't go back. Let's go on in faith together. Let's be a church that says we're going to be faithful and love God and serve God and make Him the priority of our lives until the Lord Jesus Christ returns or He takes me home in death. But I am making a commitment to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You are my Savior. You are my God. You are the purpose and point of my life. I am going to follow you. It doesn't matter what happens in the world. It doesn't matter who's elected. It doesn't matter what happens with the economy. Lord Jesus Christ, I believe in you. And I'm going to go on in faith because you are so much better than the world. You're so much better than my old life. You're so much better than the world. You're so much better than the flesh, the world, the flesh, and the devil. You're better than all of that. I believe in you. I worship you. I honor you. You are the point of my life. That is the heart that we must have at Grace Baptist Church if we're going to please God at Christmas. Amen? That's who we must be. There are three choices, apathy, apostasy, and anticipation. And there are three dangers, three dangers that we must be warned of. Go back to Hebrews chapter 5. The three dangers. And I really believe that the people that are faithful at Grace Baptist, that this is your heart, that I just expressed the desire of your heart. What are the dangers that we face in order to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil? What are the dangers that we face? Well, the first one is spiritual dullness and degeneration. Spiritual dullness. And when I used to play basketball, um, I was not tall. It's true. And so, man, I had to try so hard. You know, which, of course, that comes naturally to me. I, I guess it's, you know, Napoleon syndrome, short and aggressive, right? And, man, I would just be killing myself. And there'd be some big guy like Tony or Wade. Just lazy under the basket. <laughs> Wade just woke up again after all that time. <laughs> How many, you know what I'm talking about? Just lazy. And I'd get so mad because I'm working my little tail off to get this game won. And this big doofer who has all the ability in the world and has all of the gifts in the world, size and speed and strength, is just apathetic. Would have been really bad if the preacher started cussing right there, wouldn't it? That close, that close. And... My dad used to tell the story about this preacher who had come, he had gotten saved from a really rough life. One day he's up there preaching and he starts preaching on the devil and he got so mad, he just cussed the devil a blue streak in church. And he got done and he was so embarrassed. He started to clean out his office. He knew he was done. And he got called into a deacon's meeting and they said, Pastor, we've decided to give you a raise. Any preacher that hates the devil that much, we want to make sure we keep him. <laughs> But this, this idea, when I'm playing basketball and I've got some guy that's just not trying very hard, it was really a bummer. 
And here's the danger of the Christian life. We have been given everything necessary for life and godliness. That the Bible says in 1 Peter. We've been given everything. We have all the gifts, all the gifts of the Spirit that God has intended for the church to work. And He's gifted every saved person with those gifts. He's given us the Word of God and the indwelling Holy Spirit of God and the power of God and the people of God and the church of God to accomplish His work. And because He's given us so much, we can just get to where we just sit back and we're just lazy. And that's dullness, isn't it? That's dullness. We must be aggressively Christian in meekness and fear. That's who we're supposed to be. God wants us to be His people in this world, anxious and excited about serving Him every day of our lives. And so the danger is spiritual dullness and degeneration. So look at, again, Hebrews chapter 5 and look at verse 11. Speaking about Jesus again, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be, and hard to be uttered, seeing you're dull of hearing. Now I know we have a lot of teachers in the room. How many of you have ever had a student that was dull of hearing? You tell them over and over and over again. And it's not that they don't have the capacity to receive it, they're just not interested in it. Right? They're distracted by everything else in the world and they're not interested in it. Let's not us be that way. And so what does it take in order for us not to be that way? It takes focus. It takes focus. And those are the people that we need to be. Spiritual dullness and degeneration. Look at the degeneration, verse 14. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. That's a good way to put it, isn't it? That my holiness, my own personal holiness... It has to be exercised. And notice it doesn't say to discern right and wrong or good or bad. It says good and evil. Good and evil. And so what the the Bible is teaching us here is that we must exercise that or we become dull in it. We're not capable or able to do that. What does it take to be able to do that? You have to be able to receive the strong meat of the Bible. There are a lot of churches around that will give you 12 steps on how to stop biting your fingernails. How to have a good life. Here, come, come to church this week and we're going to teach you how to be happy. The first way to be happy is, number one, commit yourself to be happy. Number two, realize that not everyone else is in the world is going to be happy, but you can be happy. Number three, happiness comes from God and God wants you to be happy because God's happy. Number four, You ever been to church service like that? And you walk out there saying, I'm happy. What would you learn from the Bible today? Um, but it was great. You see what I'm talking about? Well, that person's not able to discern good and evil because the way to discern good and evil is to exercise, to exercise, and to be able to receive the strong meat of the Word of God. And so the danger is dullness and degeneration. You know, if all you ever ate was milk, I'm no doctor, I'm no nutritionist, but I doubt that would be a great diet for you. And that's the exact illustration that the Bible is using here. It's time for meat. Who's ready for a steak? Oh, yeah. All right. 
dangers. The first one, dullness and degeneration. And then the second one is separation from fellow believers. The other danger is separation from fellow believers. And let's look at the same passage again. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. <clears throat> Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. One of the reasons that people were being drawn back to the temple is all of us have a desire for fellowship. All of us have a desire to belong to something. And when you have found your identity in the temple, and now you're out here by yourself, well, that need for fellowship, that need for, um, for uh, uh, encouragement, that need, we all have a desire, the approval of our peers. We all have that. Well, if you're by yourself, then you're more likely to be drawn back to the temple. If you're a believer and you're out by yourself and you're not around the fellowship of the believers then you're more likely to be drawn back into the fellowship of the lost and back into the world. And then what happens is your life must be approved by them as opposed to your life being approved by the people of God. How many of you believe that's a different standard? Right? And so what happens is the danger is that we separate ourselves from the fellowship of God's people. You young people, you need godly friends who motivate you to good works and righteousness. Now, if you have unsaved friends, that's great if your desire is to lead them to the Lord Jesus Christ. If your desire is to impress them, you're, you have set yourself on a path that will lead to destruction. I heard an old preacher one time say, never take advice from a loser. That's good advice. That is good advice. So get around the people of God, and the danger is that you separate yourself from the fellowship of believers. And then do you know what that can lead to? That can lead you to be stolen away by false doctrine. Look at Hebrews chapter 13. Look at verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. My goodness, is that, that, we ought to just make sure that we think of that verse a lot at Christmas time, don't you think? Verse 6, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp, Wherefore, Jesus also, that He might sanctify the people with His own blood, suffered without the gate. So that's where Jesus Christ was crucified, outside the gates of the city. Let us go forth, therefore, unto Him without the camp, bearing His reproach. What is that saying? The culture. What's popular? 
we're going to have to go outside of that and bear His reproach in this world. That's what we are going to have to do. And here's the problem. If we're not willing to do that, if we're not taking in strong meat, if we're not fellowshipping with the believers, if we're not being grounded in God's Word, receiving truth, communicating truth, then according to verse 9, be not carried away with diverse and strange doctrines. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace. Now, what's it talking about there? The next, the next part of that verse. It's talking about religious things. The issue is not religious things. The issue is a heart that follows the Lord Jesus Christ and desires to do His work. His work as defined in the Scriptures. So three dangers, spiritual dullness and degeneration, separation from fellow believers, and being stolen away by false doctrines. So let me ask you a question. If we had that video up here, and we had to ask, we had to show, let's look at your conversation for the past week and the emphasis of your life. Where is Jesus Christ in that? The things of God, the work of God, the ministry of Christ, the ministry of His Word. Where does that fit in your life? Can I tell you something? Not one of those things will take you to heaven. Amen? Not one of those things. The only thing that will take you to heaven is the grace of God. The only thing that will take you to heaven is the blood of Jesus Christ. Faith in His blood. His finished work on the cross. His death, burial, and resurrection. That's it. That's the only thing that will take you to heaven. But the only thing that will help you keep go on in the faith, the only thing that will help you go on in the faith, is a recognition of His presence, a love for His Word, and a passion for His glory. Folks, the biggest danger, the choices those Hebrew believers had to make, apathy, apostasy, or anticipation. So where are you in that? Are you apathetic? Are you on the verge of apostasy or are you already apostated, apostatized? Or are you anticipating His return? See, when we recognize that Jesus Christ is going to come back, then we work for Him. We love Him. And I like the way the Bible says it. We love His appearing. We love it. I don't want to be ashamed. Anybody here, your goal is to be ashamed when Jesus Christ comes back? No. What is the thing that's going to lead us to that shame? Apathy. More than anything else, it's apathy. See, I'm not worried about you apostatizing. I'm worried about you becoming apathetic and then your children apostatizing. That's what I'm afraid of. Remember my testimony. Made a profession of faith at six. Got it settled when I was 15. What if dad, mom and dad had decided they'd had enough somewhere between when I was six and 15? What would have happened with me? I don't know. I don't know. Let's make sure that we're going to go on in the faith. Amen? Let's go on in the faith. It's Christmas. Let's make sure that we're thinking of Jesus Christ. When I have a complaining spirit, the only reason for that is I am not satisfied in Jesus Christ. I need to be satisfied in Him. I don't know what your issue is today. I don't know what it is. It could be that you are living the victorious Christian life. You're right exactly where God has you. And you, are, you don't think that you've attained, but you're right where God wants you to be. Praise God. Man, I'm so thankful for you. The rest of us need to focus on Jesus. Amen? We need to focus on Him. 
We need to be willing to get plugged into His work. We need to be willing to be involved in discipleship. If you've not joined, if you're, if you're saved and you're, you're a participant of Grace Baptist Church, come and get on board. I have people asking me, what does it take to become a member of Grace Baptist Church? If you're saved and if you've been baptized in a church that believes doctrinally like we do, here's what it takes to become a member. I want to be a member. If you are baptized in a church that believes doctrinally differently than we do, then you just follow the Lord and believers' baptism here, saying, I agree with the teaching and doctrine of Grace Baptist Church, and you become a member. That's all there is to it. Some of you, you just need to get on board. You need to say, I'm in. Others of you, you might be here, and you might have been attending for a long time, and you've never trusted Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life. I promise you, getting in that baptismal pool will not save you. It'll just make you wet. It will not save you. If you're not saved yet, get that settled. Man, Jesus wants to give you a Christmas present. Eternal life. Eternal life. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you're so good to us.